Heavenly Father, today we thank you for bringing us to this place. Father, you have a purpose and a reason for us being here. You have a purpose and a reason, I believe, for the word that is read today. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us as you always do, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily within us. Father, we make room for you this day in the word, in the preaching of the word, in the hearing of it, the reading of it, anything, Father. Your word to us is life. We thank you that you have prepared for us a table. And I just thank you that, Lord, just as the the psalmist said, you prepare that table in the presence of our enemies. The world outside does not know you. Father, many are lost. And Father, there truly are enemies of the cross. And Father, you prepare a table for us every time we open the word. You walk with us. You encourage us. You strengthen us. And so today as we approach your word, I thank you that you have given it to us and preserved it down through the years so that we might have your voice, your words spoken to us and in our spirits. Well, thank you. We praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last week we talked about the plan of God and how that plan was fulfilled by many different people, even the devil himself. Fulfilled the plan of God by crucifying Jesus. I want to talk to you today about something that uh, after Jesus' resurrection, there was a number of things that went on. But my question for you today is how far would God go for you? How far has he gone for you? I remember as a, as a young man, uh, a young boy actually, uh, my parents took us to church and, um, and I share this often. You know, I went to Sunday school, knew about Jesus, knew, you know, I thought everything was great because I, I received him as my Savior at 11. I, I got baptized, although I didn't understand what baptism was at the time. And um, it wasn't until I was in college in uh, full rebellion to God and my parents that I met Jesus. And there's a difference between knowing him and meeting him. Y'all understand that, right? Because when he introduces himself to you, he's nothing like you think he is. When he introduced himself to me as a young man in rebellion, he came to me in judgment. And I realized where I was going. If I had time, I'd share that with you, but I don't. Many of us in this room probably have had that similar experience or are in the middle of that experience right now. God pursues those he loves. He pursues those he loves. And he doesn't give up on you after you get saved. He doesn't say, well, I got that one in the fold. That's okay. We're going to move on to the next one. He has a purpose and a plan for you within the kingdom of God. However you came into that kingdom today, he has a purpose for you. Maybe it's your job. Maybe as a mother and a father, husband, wife, many different things. It may be even as a pastor. Okay, I'm going to move on with that one. I didn't hear a single amen about that. I wasn't talking about myself. Maybe it's you. Maybe God has called you to do that very same thing. Um, You know, I shared with you that this um, career path was not my choice as a young man. I was going to dive 
with Jacques Cousteau. That was my life. How many of you remember Jacques Cousteau? Well, we would watch that, and I'm telling you what, I, I was just driven to become a marine biologist so that I could swim with the Frenchman. But you know, in the back of my head, in the back of my mind, and in my heart, from a point when, um, when I was four years old, I remember the Lord spoke to me in my grandmother's uh, yard when I was uh, a young boy. And um, I made a promise to him. Now, this sounds kind of strange to you, but I made a promise to him that I would serve him and I would be a missionary for him. And then I reneged on that promise. But that thing was always in the back of my mind. I made a promise to God. And you know, when you make that promise to God when you're that age, four years old, um, he doesn't forget it. He doesn't go, well, you know, he was four. He didn't know what he was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing when I did it. And I knew exactly what I was doing when I withdrew it. But that call was always there. So when I ran away and went to become a marine biologist, I thought I was getting away from God. Kind of like Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Uh, Jonah was running away from God and ended up in the belly of a fish. Um, I ran from God and ended up in the belly of whatever. And it was, ex- it was similar. But it was so life-changing. I left here to be a marine biologist and came back saved And there wasn't anybody that was safe from me. All of my friends, anybody that I could talk to, I shared with them what God had done in my life, how he had spared me. It just, I was driven because I was given a second chance by the Lord. And the the last word that I got from him in the middle of that was tell them about Jesus. That was the commission that I was given by the Lord. And it changed my life. I came home, I scared my family. They didn't know what to do with me. I wasn't the same kid that laughed. I mean, it was an adjustment for everybody. But God has a plan. And that plan is to pursue you. No matter what your age, no matter where you're at, you can think, well, you know, I'm too old. God pursued a man named Abraham. And when he was 99 years of age, God called him. It's never too late. Amen? How far will he go to restore that which is lost? The one who's broken, the one who's far away. Luke chapter 16, or 15, 1 through 7. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, you like how that's done, they rank the tax collectors right there with the sinners. We're all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. (laughs) I mean, think about it. What did Jesus come to do? He came for the lost, right? So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. Listen to this. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, angry at it. Is that what it says? Oh, you bad sheep. You horrid little animal. You deserve to be eaten by wolves. Sorry, I'm taking liberty with the word. But I want you to think about this. In your life... Have you ever wandered a little bit 
even as a Christian, have you not kind of moved away a little bit and then feel like, oh my gosh, God can never forgive me. He can't, I, I just don't know what to do. He's, I'm so bad that he can't. Jesus said that man finds that sheep and doesn't berate that sheep, doesn't beat that sheep, doesn't leave that sheep alone, rejoices that he has found that sheep again. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. How happy is he? And he's saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And when he's talking about righteous, he's talking about the self-righteous people, the Pharisees, who believed that they were God's chosen people and they were in just because they were Jewish and because they followed the law. They wouldn't even touch these people. Jesus came and the plan was fulfilled. The scriptures tell us a story of pursuit over thousands of years and thousands upon 10,000 of miles. Through many men and women, the story was written and I was told of God's love and redemption that God pursued when everyone else would have stopped. This God would be able to come to earth because of the plan that he had made. He befriended a man named Abraham, whom the Bible says was 99 years old. God appeared to him and made a covenant, which promised the Redeemer through a nation we know as the Jews. That nation was stiff-necked. If you read your Bible, go through the Old Testament, and they disappointed him. They angered him. So much so that on the mountain with Moses, he told Moses to get out of the way. I'm just going to kill them all. Now, what do you have to do to make God that angry? I did. And it's not good. Yet, even in his anger, he pursued them and preserved them through trial and tribulation. At the appointed time, he came to his people. As a babe. Not a conquering angel. Not a conquering Messiah in the, in the sense of just appearing and, and thrashing everything and changing everything. He came as a baby. And that babe was promised by God earlier. His birth was foretold by the prophets. His arrival announced by angels. Mary, Joseph. Zechariah all had experiences with those angels. He was anointed at the River Jordan once he was baptized. He submitted himself, saints, to his father. He had come, lived among his own, grew up as a man, lost his earthly father somewhere before his 30th birthday. He was acquainted with grief and sorrow just as we are. He continued to submit to the will of the Father 
when at the age of 30 he walked into the River Jordan and submitted himself to baptism and the Holy Spirit anointed him. He went into the wilderness. The devil tempted him. He emerged victorious and called 12 men who followed him for three years. And these men he called friends. Now, I've shared that, and some of you are going, okay, I've heard this story over and over and over and over. And if you continue to come to church here, you'll hear it over and over and over again. Because these are things that we need to have repeated. These men were just like us. They were chosen by God, not by men. They didn't know it, but they had been pursued by him all of their lives, I believe. And this was the moment and the time when he could fulfill that call on their lives. All of you have had an appointment with the Holy Spirit. Everyone in this room. If you're not saved, you have an appointment with God. Make the best of it. You know, you make an appointment with the doctor to find out things, right? When God makes an appointment to you, you might want to find out what that's for. Jesus left heaven and became a man to pursue that which was lost. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, scripture that's familiar to all of us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he is in the Trinity, part of the, the heavenly And he takes that and he lays that aside. He didn't hang on to that and say, this is too good for me. Being the God of the universe is too good for me to go down to those. It says that he didn't hold on to that. He let it go and came to earth. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Think about that. The God of the universe, and this is one of the things that we will never understand fully until we, I think, get into the heavenlies and we understand things better. How could the God of the universe come? How could he come as a man? Why would he do that? Why would he in all of his glory, not just come down and change everything. You see, there's a part of a plan that we don't see and we don't understand. Remember, we talked about that last week. But that pursuit, what would God do? Just as the farmer would pursue that one person out of the, out of the 99, he pursued you and he pursued me and he pursued the world. And he chose to do it in human form, as God and as man. That pursuit took him to the cross, where all 12 of his, these men would abandon him. Peter was one of his closest friends, denied him three times. Even though he had promised Jesus that he would never deny him, Judas would sell him for 30 pieces of silver. 
and that he would go hang himself because the betrayal was much too much to bear. I want to read out of John chapter 18, verse 25 through 27. It says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself in front of a fire. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Remember, Jesus spoke to him. He said, before the crow uh, crows three, you'll deny me three times. And Jesus did. When Jesus arose from the dead, he did something that is just briefly mentioned in Luke chapter 24, verse 34. Listen to this. This is after some disciples had gone onto the road. They were headed to a town and Jesus joins them, speaks to them. Uh, they were headed to, it's called the road to Emmaus. And then when Jesus, uh, after, this is after his resurrection, when he reveals himself to them, they, he disappears out of their sight and they run back down to Jerusalem. And they, they say this, the Lord has risen indeed, and listen to what it says, and has appeared to who? Simon. We don't know what was said. But the Apostle Paul knew of it and wrote a letter to the church of Corinth about that very same incident. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, following the plan. And He appeared to Cephas. Cephas was Peter. And then to the twelve. How much does the God of the universe love his creation when one of them denies him? See, every time I read this story, I see my life in that. And maybe you do too. Have you ever denied him? Have you ever lived your life even though you've called upon him and said that you're a Christian, have you ever lived your life outside that isn't Christ-like? In that sense, maybe denying him. And then there can be some guilt that can come on you. Have you ever sold him out like Judas did? You say, well, no, I've never been that bad. Some people feel they've been that bad. I believe if Judas had not hanged himself, Jesus would have appeared to him also. But he fulfilled scripture and did it. The first person that Jesus appeared to other than the and other than the women at the tomb was Peter. Why do you think he needed to appear to Peter? What do you think Peter was going through? I mean like I said, it's, it's just a, a short passive scripture. He has appeared to Simon. If you had denied Jesus three times in front of a public group, warming yourself by a fire, how low do you think your life would have been? 
You'd been to the tomb. You'd seen that he is gone. You're kind of hoping that maybe it's true. That he is raised from the dead, but you're not sure. And then Jesus comes. Do you think maybe that passage of Scripture where Jesus shared with the Pharisees about the the farmer leaving the 99 and going after the one, do you think that maybe spoke to him at some point? Do you not think that there was tears? I mean, just, I'm imagining because we don't have that discourse. We don't understand all that went on. But knowing the God of the universe, raised from the dead, where one of his friends has betrayed him, and he pursues him, and speaks to him. What do you think that conversation was like? Peter probably didn't get to say much. But we know it changed him. How far will God go for you? What have you done that is so bad that he will not come to you and appear to you And share life and grace and love with you. The enemy will tell you, oh, you're so bad. You're so bad that even God can't save you. You know how I know that? That's what he told me. Now you're all thinking, well, yeah, man, the pastor speaks to the devil. No, you understand what I'm talking about. I hope. Because that enemy is there and he's always the Bible says the accuser of the brethren he's always accusing especially after you're saved because if you're saved he's lost you in that sense but he can still accuse you and you still have a conscience and you can still be you know even if you're not saved the enemy can try to convince you through circumstances and people and different things that you're not savable that you are so bad That God can't save you. Have you denied Jesus? After having been his friend for three years? Have you denied Jesus by selling him for 30 pieces of silver? Or have you done worse? I did. You notice I'm not a marine biologist today. God had a plan. And he has one for you. That pursuit continued in the 40 days that Jesus spent on the earth before his ascension. Jesus publicly in front of the other disciples showed his forgiveness and pursuit of that one who needed it most, Peter. I want to take you to a charcoal fire. Peter takes the apostles fishing on the lake while they're in the boat. Jesus appears on the shore and he asks them if they've caught anything. And Peter sees that it's Jesus. So he puts his cloak on and he jumps in the water and he swims to shore. And the others are coming with the net full of fishes. And um, Go back and read 21. So when Peter comes out of the water, Jesus is standing there. And it's in John chapter 21, verse 9, it says, When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Here's Jesus by a fire with the disciples. 
He didn't take the fish they caught. He provided his own for them. And I want you to listen to this story that was so carefully written down by the Apostle John by the unction of the Holy Spirit. It says, When they had finished breakfast, found in John chapter 21, 15 through 19, Jesus said to Simon Peter, <coughs> Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Even though I denied you three times. Peter was grieved. Excuse me. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs truly, truly. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. I want you to think about how detailed our Heavenly Father is. If you see His creation, it's very detailed. If you get into mathematics and music and and the arts and all the different things, just the universe itself, everything is detailed. Nothing is left out. As a matter of fact, at the very beginning when God had created everything, on on the sixth day He said, it is very good. How complex are you as a human being created in His image and His likeness. How detailed is it? The blood that courses through your veins, the lungs that pump the oxygen to that blood. And the blood comes back around through the heart and is pushed through and you get it, we exhale CO2. And the brain that they still can't even figure out how it functions. That's just one part of the creation of God. is so complex and so detailed. And I want, you to, I want to share with you how detailed God is in his healing with Peter. Peter stood before a fire and denied him three times. It's not by accident, I don't believe, that God, through Jesus Christ, on the shore of Galilee, in front of a fire, asks Jesus three times, Do you love me? Do you love me? And the third time it says it grieved Peter. Does that mean he understood? Or did it mean he was like, like us? Three times in front of a fire he denied Jesus. Three times in front of a fire he affirmed Jesus. Not only did Jesus appear to him, not secretly, but solely alone by himself, But in front of all of the men who knew that he had denied Jesus Christ, Jesus restored him. After everything that he had done.
What have you done? That was so bad that you can't be forgiven. What have you done that would cause him not to love you, even as a Christian? Peter was his best friend on earth. Saints, I didn't call you his friends. He called you his friends. You are his friends. He loves you with an everlasting love. If he saved you, you've received him. If you've given your life to him, he's done everything for you. There is nothing that can separate you. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can separate us? Every time I read this story, every time I read it, I think of what he's done for me. What has he done for you? What is he willing to do? And what have you done that he can't forgive? Our hope is not in this world. The call is not from man. The call is from God. And His love for you is greater than your understanding of it, I can guarantee you. His death on the cross is greater than anything that you will really fully know until you get the other side. You will experience it. You'll have an understanding to some degree, but saints, I don't believe that there is so much that is going on that I don't think we'll ever fully understand. But there are some things that God has made very clear to us. And the Apostle Paul writes it, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who shall separate us? What shall separate us? Nothing. His plan for you if you're here today, I believe, was either to fulfill and continue to teach or to even bring you to salvation. If he's pursued you, if he has called you, if he's worked on your heart and on your life, and if you've said, mm, no, nah, I'm just, I can't. So the question is, why do you keep coming to church? Is it comfortable here? Is the preaching that good? Or does the Lord keep, for lack of a better word, dragging you here? 
He loves you. He loves us with an everlasting love. That love is greater and more powerful than even our ability to understand it. Do you think Peter fully understood that love when Jesus appeared to him the first time? Do you think Peter, when he's sitting by the fire, doesn't get it? Do you think as a human being, when, Peter asked, when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And there's, there's more in it. We don't, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. But do you not think as a, as a man, there's a point where he just went, I have been such a failure. I failed my friend. And they killed him. Well, guess what? The Bible says there's none good. Not one. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And you'll have moments, even as a Christian, where you'll fail him. He understands that. And that's why his salvation is still at work in you. Amen? There is no way I can guarantee you that I'm good enough to be your pastor. Thanks for not saying an amen there. I'm not. I'm not good enough to be my wife's husband or my children's father or my grandchildren's grandfather. But in Christ, I have that forgiveness and so do you. I have that grace and so do you. I have that love so do you. How far would he go? How far did he go for Peter? And you can say, well, yeah, he was one of the apostles. He would do that for that guy, he, that caliber of a person. What did Jesus say? Would a man not leave the 99 and search for the one? And when he found that one, he would pick it up and put it upon his shoulders and rejoice. That he has found it. And then when he goes home, gathers all of his friends and says, I found him. That's the God that pursues you and keeps you and watches over you and forgives you and corrects you if necessary. That's the God who loves you with an everlasting love. Amen? Let's stand. Still good to be saved? Hi, gorgeous. If you will with me today, I would like us all to pray. I'm going to have you pray out loud with me. Is that okay? I want you to either affirm or receive what Jesus has done for you today through this prayer. Is that okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, we receive you.
We receive your work. And we thank you that you love us. That you have pursued us. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us this day of our sins. Anything that has separated us from you. We receive the work that Jesus did on the cross. And we thank you that your love for us is everlasting to everlasting. We thank you, Father, for saving us and keeping us and pursuing us even when we didn't believe you could. Oh, Father, we thank you. Now, you have either affirmed or reaffirmed where you're at or have you received Jesus for your Savior for the first time? And what does the Bible say happens when one sinner gets saved? All the angels rejoice. I think they still like the fact that we're saved. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you this day for the work that you've done, for the work that you're doing, and for the work that you will continue to do in our lives. We receive that work. We receive that forgiveness. We receive that work in our lives. And we'll thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray, Father, your blessing upon each and every heart that is here, each family, each life, each person. Father, you would work mightily within each and every heart. Father, we thank you. Ask your blessing as we go from this place that we would be light and salt to a dark and dying world, that we would be your love, your feet, your hands to people who do not know you. Pray, Father, for the, for the anointing of your Spirit upon each and every heart that is here. That, Father, you would fall upon this place and move fresh and new in each and every heart that is here. And we will thank you. We will receive you. And we worship you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.